Well, we're in our last of uh, this short three-week series, our last week um, looking at Paul's letter to Philemon. And um, for, for this week, I want, I want you to ask yourself this question. Um, when you um, are trying to help somebody, when you have to make a decision to help somebody, when you are, I mean, from your heart, intentionally trying to help someone, um, what are the factors that go into that? And as you're trying to help somebody, does it matter if you're a Christian or not? Does it matter that we love Jesus or that we don't love Jesus? I mean, is there really any significant difference between a Christian and a non-Christian when we're just trying to help people? Um, so we had a 15-year-old girl live with us that I thought I knew. Uh, this was back in Orlando. And uh, she got um, she had a way of just lighting up a room and kind of telling a story. And I mean, I just, I, I kind of melted and so did Lou. And um, it turns out as, as we, she stayed with us for, you know, about a month, um, we found out that she began to tell the story, the same story to other families that were either in our church or around our church. And one of the things is she'd ask for a little bit of money. And um, if we would have looked a little bit behind the scenes and asked a few questions, a few harder questions, I think we would have probably been smarter and maybe not made some of the decisions that we did. Um, but when we're called to live as Christians, and this is what's happening here, Paul is writing a letter to this guy named Philemon, and he's trying to be wise. And I was trying to be wise and helping this girl, and so was Lou. And we were trying to be smart about, okay, what does it mean? Because the Bible doesn't cover every scenario in your life. I mean, how many scenarios are you going to experience tomorrow that the Bible just doesn't speak to at all? We know that you're safe within the guardrails of Scripture. But that's a big fence. There's a lot of space within the guardrails of Scriptures in our everyday lives. How do we... How do we not be taken advantage of? And how, after being taken advantage of, do we not turn into Ebenezer Scrooge, right? And say, no way. No, you know, burn me once. Uh, shame on you. Uh, yeah, you. Wait. Burn me once. Shame on you. Burn me twice. Shame on me. That's good, Frank. <laughs> I want to react to that. If someone burned me, I wanted to react. So we had another, this is about six years ago here, had a guy come up, seemed fairly charismatic. And I tell you what, I was just hard. I was like, I'm not going to be taken. I'm not going to be taken. And you know what? This guy needed help. This guy literally was on the side of the road and his gas can um, he had a gas can, it caught on fire, his car caught on fire, and he had uh, like third degree burns all over his body. And I could still feel my guard up, like, you're going to ask for money, right? This is what it is. You're, gonna, you're trying to work this, right? How would Jesus show love? How would Paul show love? How do you show love? And how can you be smart, but what? But gracious. Isn't that the balancing act that, we, that we're trying to find? So, think about this. Paul is on a missionary journey. And uh, Paul and Barnabas are 
you know, they're kicking tail and taking names, right? Planting churches. They have this buddy named John Mark. Join them. And they get to a particular area. I think it was their second missionary journey or, or first. And um, they were about ready to go to a couple of these cities. And John Mark says, peace, I'm out. I don't want to go to these cities. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel comfortable here. I know we're on a mission. I know we're trying to plant churches. But I guess it was something about these cities. He's like, I'm out. And so he left. And he went back to Jerusalem. This was a couple years later. Barnabas, who, had the heart, who has the heart the size of Texas, says to Paul, hey, when we're going um, on this particular journey, I think we should pick up John Mark. And Paul says, no way. We are not picking up John Mark. John Mark is not going with us on a missionary journey. John Mark, um, he is out. He, he bailed on us, man. And we're already feeling all this oppression. We're trying to plant churches in this New Testament world. And when you got a guy who you think has your back and he bails on you, I don't trust him anymore. Now that's Paul who wrote Galatians about grace, constant grace. But in that particular moment, Paul is trying to use wisdom and grace, truth and love. So what happens? Barnabas, his pal, says, I think you're being a little heavy on him. Barnabas leaves with John Mark, and Paul picks up his new buddy, Silas. And, they, and there's two parties kind of split. It was kind of a first church divide there, if you will. I mean, they were still on mission, but how do you, as a Christian, know when to practice truth and when to practice love? What are the factors in your life? This isn't easy stuff at all. And I, I want to start with that, that as we look at this world here, God's will for specific situations, it can feel elusive because we have to do hard work to figure out, okay, what does it mean for us to, uh, to be smart, to be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove? Jesus says that. I want you to live that way. So, I want to pick up from um, Philemon. This is, this is, we we've did two of these verses uh, last week, and uh, we're going to just go to the end of the book. It's like 12 verses. I wanted to keep him here with me. So this is Paul writing to Philemon. If you haven't been here, I, need to, I forgot to tell you this. If you haven't been here with us, Paul is in Ephesus, 100 miles away from Colossae. Philemon is a wealthy landowner that came to know Christ under Paul's ministry. One of Philemon's slaves, his name was Onesimus, he just ran away. Um, In that day, uh, a slave and what he brought to the table was roughly around 500 denarii, or um, think $60,000. And that is essentially what um, Philemon lost. And so he had this slave who ran away and providentially met Paul. And while Paul's in jail, Paul preaches the gospel, and this runaway slave, Onesimus, is saved. Paul is discipling Onesimus, and he realizes, oh, dude, you ran away. You ran away from your responsibilities in Colossae. You ran away to Ephesus here with me. I'm glad you're saved, but you know what? we got to make things right. And you're going to need to go back to Colossae 
love maps. Go back to Colossae, where Philemon is, and let's make things right. In order to help you out a little bit, I'm going to write a letter. And that's the book of Philemon. I'm going to write a letter, and I'm going to try to grease the wheels a little bit, and I'm going to tell them my experience with you. Because I know you're saved, Onesimus. I know you made a mistake by running away, but I know you are saved. So, Paul writes to Philemon. Now, imagine if someone stole $60,000 from you, right? Essentially, that, that would be, that would be you know, kind of the equivalent. Would you, I mean, how, how, would that, how would that make you feel right now? I mean, what would you do with that? How would you receive that person? It would be tough. What would Jesus do? Paul writes this letter saying, Philemon, I wanted to keep Onesimus here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news. And believe it or not, he would have helped me on your behalf or on behalf of the ministry. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent because he was your man. I wanted you to help Philemon because you were willing, not because I forced you, because Paul is kind of the hoo-ha, the head, the head pastor in Asia Minor. And he could just say, well, I'm the pastor, and I'm saying it, boom, you're doing it. And he goes, I don't want to be that guy. I'm not going to be that guy. Verse 15, it seems you lost Onesimus for a little while. You know, speculation as to how long, maybe a year and a half, two years. While... Uh, it seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave. For he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord." So this 15-year-old girl, I thought, really appreciated what we were doing for her. And then all of a sudden, turns out, she's working the whole you know, contact network in the church. Are you telling me that I'm supposed to always, when someone steals money from me, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to do this? You see, God's will for specific situations, it's tough. We have to use smarts. We have to use our heart. You want to use your mind, but you can't cut your heart out. If you don't want to use your mind and just think with your heart, you can, you, know, you can be made a fool. And Paul, like with John Mark, cut him out. But now, with Onesimus, he's saying, Look, I want you to imagine that you only lost Onesimus for a little while. That maybe in God's plan... It's like this. But notice the start of verse 15 there. Is that a heavy-handed language there? How does he start off that sentence? It seems. Hey, here's an option. Perhaps. I could see God using this situation for the greater good. What I love about this is Paul is not just saying, this is the way it is. I met Onesimus. You welcome him back. I know he's a good dude. No doubt Paul believes that, but he leaves room. Because would you be mad at another Christian 
if you know that someone stole $60,000 from them and they didn't like welcome them back into their company, right? If you, had a, if, if you knew of a Christian that stole that amount of money from another Christian owner and you heard that that Christian owner did not receive um, that person who was apparently sorry back into their company, would you blame that person? Would you think that that's a stupid thing for them to do and they don't understand the gospel? No. No. Because within the gospel, there is space. There is room in the gospel. And so Paul is setting him up, saying, hey, look, I'm going to go to bat for Onesimus, but I understand um, if you don't see it the same way I do, but I want to give you my perspective. Tell me how healthy that is. I mean, the language gets even a little bit stronger here, but he says, perhaps it seems this is what I feel like. When we are open-handed with our take on people, with, when we are open-handed with our understanding, and we look at another Christian and say, okay, you know what? They probably needed to protect their business. Or we see another Christian business owner say, you know what? He accepted that guy back. We say, amen to grace. That guy got some grace and mercy he didn't deserve. Um, and I hope that that Christian owner is what? I hope that he is wise, but I like the grace. Philemon doesn't have to do this. He's not going to be in sin if he does not welcome this guy back, right? That's, but the gospel, it frees us up. Let's keep going. Verse 17. So anyway, if you reckon me a partner, Philemon, in your work, receive him, Onesimus, as though he were actually me, Paul. And I'm going to go a step farther. And if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, put that down on my account. No, this is me, Paul, writing with my own hand. I'll pay you back. And far be it from me to remind you that you owe me your own very self. Remember you when you were just that rich guy that didn't know anything about the Lord and you came through Ephesus? and I preached the gospel to you, and I saw your heart melt? Remember, that was me seeing you in need. And in a real way, you owe me your life. So please trust that I'm not trying to pull one on you. Yes, my brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the King. He's saying this, can we as Christians be distinct? Can we do this? And if this guy's a slave and he just thinks he's a slave, that's all he thinks he is? What if all of a sudden you were to welcome him like a brother and it's not gospel up here in theory, it's gospel in real time? So the moment he's he's supposed to feel the most shame, all of a sudden you put a coat over him and say, you're my brother now. What? (laughs) Tell me that wouldn't help this guy's, you know. But Paul's going to bat and saying, I know this guy's not a shyster. I know he's not trying to pull one on you. But Philemon's still got to trust that Paul knows what he's talking about. This is not an easy thing. But here, the point is this. The gospel frees you and me. It frees us to be distinct. 
it frees us to be peculiar. Because if everyone in the world thinks, hey, um, there's no way you'd welcome anybody back who took that amount of money from you. And you do? Hey, what is that about these people that go to this church and talk about Jesus this way? You know, there's something about them. There's something about them. There's a freedom. There's a freedom to use truth and a freedom to use love. It's all, you know, it's all encapsulated in the boundary of the gospel. But Paul is free here to do whatever he wants, and so he's going and, and basically being um, Onesimus' advocate in a, in a major, major way. And they're believing, he is believing that it was by, purely by God's providence that Onesimus came to him, and he's thinking, you know what, this is going to be a great story. Because when you go back, and you're like the best worker and his brother, and you used to be the slave, in fact, you were the runaway slave, this is going to be a great story. There's no way anybody would ever see this. Like when we hear a 15-year-old jumping off a floating dock named Johnny, and she, she dives into a lake, and in a moment, she's a quadriplegic. And everybody says, God, you're nowhere near that. What is going on here? Obviously, when Philemon realizes the dude just ran away to Ephesus, like, you're not anywhere near this, God. And then, I'm 16 years old, and I'm looking up at this stage, and here is this quadriplegic coming up on the stage, and she has a paintbrush in her mouth, and she paints these beautiful pictures. And she then tells us the whole gospel about how God made her free. Irony, she's in a wheelchair without able to use her arms or legs. She is free. God moves, Paul is saying, in mysterious ways, ways that you can't see in the moment. You can't see that a, you know, a young sister would hide the people during the Nazi regime and love her sister so well. And we look at Corey ten Boom and the way she was used. You don't realize that in 1402, there was this young pastor in Prague. And this guy named John Wycliffe in England began to translate the Bible into English. And next thing you know, the Bible was more translated in the vernacular. It comes over to Prague. This young pastor begins to read and begin to be filled with the Spirit. And he preached Jesus in the midst of a ton of heresy, in the midst of a ton of persecution. And his community around him was so frustrated that they said, okay. And they picked him up and they took him to a stake. And they tied him up and they lit a match. And John Huss, one of the morning stars of the Protestant Reformation, was burned. And while he's being burned, he says this, you can give me a room full of gold. I don't, you, you couldn't give me a room full of gold to deny my Savior, and he's burned. And you look at that, and from that, how many pastors do we know came? That was 100 years prior to um, Martin Luther nailing uh, the 95 Theses on the door of Wittenberg. You know, you can be distinct. The gospel frees us up to be distinct. And he's saying, hey, what if we were to do that here? 
Philemon, what if you were to forgive this slave? He's never known freedom ever. He's never been given a break. And for this guy, at this time, this is where we can show the world we can be distinct and we're free to do this. Apply it. Are you free to forgive? Are you, are you free to do that? Are you free to say, you know what? They really hurt me. You're free not to, but can you really forgive? Is that option on the table? Or are you just like the world? Are we just like the world? We say, no, no. If someone hurts me, man, it's, walls are going up. No one's doing that again. And what Paul is showing us, or Paul is advocating to Philemon, and we don't know Philemon's reaction, but hey, what if you were to do this? In fact, I don't want money to be in the way. You know what? I want to be what I want to be the bridge. You know, when Jesus went down, um, walked down the Via Della Rosa to uh, Golgotha, and he gets on there, and he's basically taking heaven and earth and bringing them together. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to take friend and foe and pull them together. That's the point of the cross. Jesus is our reconciliation. And when we can see that, then we can be distinct. We can be what? We can be salt and light. We can decide not to define ourselves by, hey, you know what an Israelite is? An Israelite is someone who makes bricks without straw for the Egyptians. That's what I am. No, no. I'm free even in my slavery. I'm free. We, we can be distinct. Now, here's the thing. I want a formula, maybe you want a formula. I want a way. If I have a situation, I want the Bible to give me a formula to do it. And as long as you are not violating any individual principle in Scripture, it doesn't give you a formula. It says what? Keep your heart soft. Know where you're coming from. Right? Know yourself. Know your weaknesses. But then, you know what? Do what you feel God is um, do what you feel God is moving in your heart. All right? Last verses of the book are this. As I, Paul, write this, I'm confident that you'll do what I say. <laughs> it's kind of heavy. It's kind of heavy-handed there. In fact, I know you'll do more than I say. But at the same time, get a guest house ready for me. I'm hoping you see that through your prayers, I will be granted to you. He'll get to see you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in King Jesus, sends you greetings. So does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my colleagues here. The grace of the Lord King Jesus be with your spirit. Paul obviously believes he knows the heart of Philemon, that he was a jerk, and that he came and he was slayed because he realized who he was. And now Philemon is a humble man having small group Bible studies, as it says in the first part of the book, the first few words, having small group Bible studies in his house with his wife and his son. That's what it says. Paul says, I'm so proud of you, Philemon, because you have small group studies in your house. I know that, that you are committed to this cause, so let's do this. Let's make a slave who doesn't know freedom your brother. In fact, let's, 
Let's move it up one. Maybe, maybe even sometimes he will be what? He will be your pastor. Because he knows Jesus, I promise. And if the $60,000 gets in the way, I'm going to pay it. He can't pay it, I'll pay it. I don't want you hanging on to that. Now you think about those dynamics. You think about if you're the slave, if you're the owner, or are you Paul? I think maybe you have a situation in your life where you are deciding whether to be forgiven. You know it's hard to be forgiven. I don't want to owe anybody anything. Do you, want to, do you like that feeling of being indebted to somebody? And when someone cancels your debt, you have to decide to, to receive that. And Onesimus is in a place where he can. His pride is gone. Jesus is where he's at. And it's time for him to receive that freedom. Maybe you need to receive forgiveness from somebody else. They are trying to make it right. You have hurt them. And you feel horrible about what you've done. But you just can't get the fact that you are forgiven. You refuse to accept the forgiveness. Well, that's the, that's the journey of an Onesimus. But man, imagine just receiving that and living in that. What is it like to receive a gift you don't think you deserve? You just hand it back to them, no, I can't take this. I mean, imagine if we did that. You don't deserve anything that Jesus gives us. Or maybe you're, maybe you're the Philemon. You're the one who's been hurt. And let me say this. We can throw around this doctrine of forgiveness and it actually does detriment sometimes. You say, well, you always should forgive in every situation. Yes, we should forgive because we are forgiven, right? But that doesn't mean there aren't consequences to things. Philemon, as, you know, as, as reconciliation happens, he is called to forgive. But consequence is still there, and we know that. But what does it look like for you to have a soft heart while you are forgiving somebody and not to be vindictive? Because I feel that in our marriages, right? I feel, okay, I'll forgive him, but you better know something's coming, right? Oh, man, I'm not forgetting this. Here it goes. What if you were free? I'm not saying in every situation you just lay that stuff down and say there's no consequence, but what if you were able to do that? I'm not saying that that's the wisest thing, but for some of you, hey, you don't have any freedom to do that. You're enchained. You can't even dispense forgiveness. Because what? Because I am so self-righteous and so are you at times. And so for some of us, it's not just receiving forgiveness. You, you are called to be the Philemon who's able to do that. And then lastly is this, is um, some of you, I believe, are in position to be the Paul. You know two parties who are at odds with one another. And you are called to be the letter writer right now. You are called to get into what? I hate drama. I hate drama. I cannot stand drama. I'm just, I'm out. No, you can't do that. Paul's free to say no, but Paul is also free to be in the middle of it and fight for two brothers and you're the sister and you want to fight for that family, right? You, you know the couple and you're the best friend 
and you're so scared to say anything, but this is an opportunity for you to be a Paul. Yeah, you can get burned. Paul could have gotten burned here. But he's free in the gospel to what? He is free to build the bridge. You got two buddies who haven't talked in a long time. You don't want to get into it. But you remember a time when they helped you out? And get in. Pick up the phone. Write the text. Go over to their house. Whatever it is. You are free to do that. Give it to Jesus and let's see what happens. I mean, what's the catalyst for all of this stuff? Because Paul is saying, hey, look, we can turn a slave into a brother. He also says we can turn an orphan into a son. But what's the catalyst for all of this? So in the book of Romans, Paul says this. You know, in life, if you know a really good person, um, there might be a scenario where you would die for a person that you thought was really good. There might be a scenario where you put your life on the line and you actually die for someone who you really look up to or you think is all that. And then he says, but would you put your life on a line for someone that you thought was bad? This doesn't make any sense, right? There's no way you would put your life on the line for someone that you thought was a a scoundrel. And then he says this, but, Romans 5, 8, while you and I were yet sinners, scoundrels, Christ died for us. While we were sick in sin, Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm going. I'm, I'm, taking, yeah, I'm taking everything to the cross, and I'm going to defeat pain and death. I'm going to do it. If that is not our catalyst, this whole letter breaks down. You can't extend forgiveness. You can't bridge forgiveness and you can't receive forgiveness if that is not the root of everything you do. That while we were a scoundrel, Christ said, I'm going to die for you. Man, I think it changes the way that I feel when this 15-year-old girl kind of worked me. Well, okay, I got worked. Criminy. I know. That wasn't cool. But I'm her. I mean, if you don't know that when you read this book, you're Onesimus, and I'm Onesimus. We're all runaways. We're all Luke 15. We're all the prodigal that ran away from God. And Jesus is here saying, no, 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 right? You come back. You come back to me. And when you come back, the robe gets placed on you, and we're going to kill a fatted calf, and we're going to eat ribeyes. (laughs) It's going to be awesome because that's how much your father loves you and loves me. When we know that, man, I tell you what, this dynamic is exciting. The passion with which Paul pens this thing, it makes sense. He gets, he's like, let's do this. Let's let let Onesimus come back. It'll freak the world out. (laughs) This runaway, we're going to put him back at his same position and brother him and all this stuff. And what what, the world's going to look at that and be like, I don't understand it. And we're going to be like, I know, I know. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about this guy named Jesus who freed me up to be able to do crazy stuff like this. Or, you know, because what Jesus did for me, I can fill a backpack and take it to a homeless person. I can do that. I don't have to look at them and say, get a freaking job. Work one day. No, I'm free. I'm free to love. I'm free to use my mind and use my smart, but I'm free to extend grace 
And Paul is free here. And we know that this isn't what he does in every scenario. You know? He knows that God's will can feel so elusive. He's, he knows that he isn't going to be exactly right. Like when I sit Frankie and Jake down and say, you know what you fellows are going to be when you grow up? Pastors. <laughs> you have no choice. Yeah, that would you know. No. Like, I don't know what they're supposed to be. But I can be smart and wise. I don't have to tell my two girls, you better marry pastors. Right? That wouldn't be good at all. <laughs> We're free. There's room. And so as you think about this, as you think about who are you in this little um, letter here, I hope you know that we all are a part of the family um, when we take the Lord's Supper. And I don't want us to ever forget that you, when you come to this table, it's not just you here, right? The Word says Jesus is your host. Like, He's a host, at this table. And you know what? He is a loving, caring, hospitable head of the home. And he says, hey, we're a family. Come and receive. Come and eat. Remember, it's all based upon my sacrifice for you. That's how much I love you. Let me say this caveat. If you don't know Christ as the head of your home, we would ask that you wouldn't come up um, because this table is for the family. But we want you to be a part of the family. If you feel like, okay, I've placed my faith in all these other things. And I've been curious about this Christianity thing. And I know it's still going to require faith. Maybe it's time to take a leap. Maybe it's time this morning for you to say, okay, you know what? I've investigated it. I've been curious. I feel the Lord working in my heart. I know I need a big cross because I've done some terrible things. But that grace will... I believe it will change my life. He says, hey, maybe while people are coming up and receiving the Lord's Supper, you spend some time in prayer with the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Come into my life. I receive you as the head of my new home. Maybe he's doing that. It doesn't have to be all dramatic or music. Paul, he doesn't have to be singing in the background here. Well, you know, or, no, just like, hey, I know I'm here. I know God's doing something in my life. Uh, that's... That's our goal as we, we've just heard the gospel, right? Now we see the gospel. And we remember the Last Supper where Jesus loves these disciples and says, I want to, I want to do this thing. And he holds up a piece of bread and he holds up the juice or the wine. And he says, this is my body and this is my blood. So as we think about taking the Lord's Supper, let's pray and will the elders please come forward. Father God, we thank you for um, a runaway slave. We thank you that um, the owner, the master, knew you. And as far as we know, he was leading with grace in his home. May we, God, as hurting people, may we receive your grace, God. If someone has hurt us, may we extend grace. May we look for opportunities, God, to be Paul, to be Jesus. To two parties, you, we know you would like to reconcile. May all of that make sense as we come to the table here and receive your sacrifice. We thank you for your grace and your love, God. In your name, amen.